0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome back. Before I open in prayer, we're going to be talking today about how how do we pray, how do we read God's Word, and so I'm going to open with a prayer that talks about that and prays that, that the Holy Spirit would enable us to do that. Um, but before I do, just a little bit of um, orientation in terms of the short time that we have left. Obviously, I'm teaching today. Next Sunday, Jeff, Father Miller, is going to be with us to talk about Anglicanism and um, and and eventually connecting into a little bit about St. Philip's, but mostly about Anglicanism. Where did we come from? What's distinctive about us? Um, how are we different than, say, Presbyterians or Baptists or so on? And then the following week, he'll come back again for a Q&A. So if anybody has any questions, um, whether it's questions about Anglicanism, questions about St. Philip's, questions about Christianity, he'll be with us um, to do a Q&A, which he is very gifted at doing. So um, I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you all are as well. Not all finish out our time together um, after that, this week, next week, and then the week after that. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Blessed Lord, you caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I love that prayer. Um, A prayer that that we would, uh, by the Holy Spirit, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word of God. It's a wonderful prayer and a wonderful image of what we're called to do um, with God's word. But let's just take a moment to recap where we've been. Um, We have talked about last week, we talked about our belief in God, the Holy Spirit, who of course is often represented um, as he is here as a bird or a dove. We talked about the personality of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. That is, what is he like and what does he do in our lives? We talked about how the Holy Spirit is responsible for Christian conversion, Christian assurance, Christian holiness, understanding, fellowship, service, and mission. Uh, the Holy Spirit is very busy at, at, at work in the life of the believer. One of the things that Bishop Lawrence said, and you may have caught it um, on, I think it was on Wednesday night and not Sunday morning, but he talked about how the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer is really the same thing that Jesus did in the life of his followers when he had those essentially three years with them. He taught them. He guided them. uh, He healed them. He rebuked them. um, He led them. He shepherded them. He comforted them. He counseled them. All those things are what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. Thanks be to God. Well, today we are moving into the last section of our time together. As we've talked about, our study has been divided into three sections. What John Stott calls in the book, Christian beginnings, Christian belief, and Christian behavior. If I were to rename them, I would call them um, Christian beginning, how do we begin? What do we need to know? Um, fundamental truths about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, how do we live this out? What does it look like to be a Christian? How, if someone were to follow you around, how would your life be different than your neighbor who is unbelieving but is trying to live a moral life? How would your life be different? And we're going to talk about um, two things today uh, as we move into um, Christian living, uh, Bible reading and prayer. But uh, it's significant, I want to point this out, I want to underscore something that really we established the first day in class. We're not talking about how we live or what we do until now, here at the end. And um, this is a good time to recap that, that... You know, many people, as we talked about on the first day of class, many people think that behavior is the heart of the Christian faith. If you ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? They'll say, well, it means to be a good person, to do good things. And as we talked about, that's not the heart of the Christian faith. What is the heart of the Christian faith? Jesus Christ in a relationship, learning to have a relationship with him. How in the world are we supposed to do that? The heart of the Christian faith is a person, not a system, not things that we do. And so it's only here at the end that we are now talking about what do we do? How then shall we live, given what we know to be true about God? So our behavior is not the heart of the faith, but it is the fruit of our faith. It flows out of our faith. It flows out of that relationship um, that Jeff and Catherine talked about. Yes, that, that our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we've saved it for last, having put down our roots in the person of Jesus and who He is, we're now going to talk about the fruit. But if I could just stretch this analogy a little bit further, and maybe I'm, if, if any of you were English teachers, I can. Olivia, do you teach English? Okay, well, good, because I'm about to mix some metaphors, and you know, an English teacher wouldn't like that. Um, not only is our behavior the, the fruit of our relationship, but it can also act as fertilizer. It's both fruit and fertilizer. How so? Well, I will explain it this way. Um, I like to uh, have uh, beers with my friend Trevor. Trevor is a priest. He serves at Holy Cross, Solomon's Island. We've known each other since we were kids, and um, so we like to get a beer together, And, and that's because I like Trevor, and it's just good to be with him. It's it's fun to have a pint with Trevor. So in a sense, pints with Trevor is the fruit of our relationship that we already have. But it's also true that grabbing a pint with Trevor, it deepens my love and appreciation for him as I get to know him more and more, as I get to know what he's struggling with, what the victories are in his life, how God is working in his life. So it's also true that pints with Trevor are a fertilizer for our friendship. So do you see it's both fruit and fruit, and fertilizer the time that we spend together. Well, the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. There are certain behaviors, certain uh, things that flow out of our our love for Him. In other words, we will grow in our desire to spend time with Him. Not pints with Trevor, but pints with God, if you will. But, But that time that we spend will also deepen our relationship with Him. And so that's what we're talking about today, both the fruit, but also the fertilizer of um, your relationship and i'm gonna ask a question i'm not looking for you to answer the question but the question is and i ask the question it might seem like an obvious question but it's not obvious and the question is do you want to grow in your faith do you want to grow in your relationship with christ if the answer is yes then what we're talking about today it's not the only means but it's the primary means by which that relationship will grow so that's what we're going to be talking about Um, and, And how does that happen? Well, it happens through Bible reading and prayer. That is how we deepen that relationship with God. Now, what we're talking about really could come under the heading of Christian discipline. Now, that word discipline, it has become something of a dirty word in our culture. Generally, when people talk about discipline, they only speak about it in the negative sense. You know, little Timmy was naughty at school, so he had to be Disciplined. Um, Or little Johnny, if he's a a bad boy, how are his mother and father going to discipline him? So we think of discipline, and certainly can be used in that way, but I'm not using in in the negative sense. We are using it in the positive sense, as in those things that are characteristic of being a disciple. Notice it's the same root. Discipline, disciple, it's the same word. So to be a disciple of Jesus Christ necessitates certain disciplines. That is that we commit ourselves to certain things in season and out of season when we feel like doing them. And yes, even when we don't feel like doing them, because there will be days when we don't feel like doing them. But that's why it's called a discipline. We are disciple followers of Jesus Christ. And we all know this to be true. We we know this in in other realms that if you want to grow intellectually, then you've got to, to have the discipline of study. If you want to grow as an athlete or a, or a musician, you've got to have the discipline of practice, 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 practice. But somehow when it comes to the spiritual life, somehow we've gotten the message that, that, that spiritual growth is just something that'll happen to us. Now, now, it is true the Holy Spirit is fostering growth within us, no question about it, but, but we are called to play our part, to play our part. And if you think about it, I mean, how did Jesus live his life? He he was clearly steeped in the word of God. Uh, Oftentimes, he would quote the word of God when he was in a particular situation or if he was um, counteracting maybe something that his enemies were trying to say. So he was steeped in the word of God. Second of all, we see that he was faithful in prayer. Oftentimes, he's going off by himself. In fact, sometimes the disciples would go off and find him and and say, Jesus, what do you think you're doing over here by yourself praying? There are people who need you. But no, he had the discipline of setting time aside with the Father, steeped in the Word of God, disciplined in his prayer. And and also, as part of that, he was um, disciplined in his Sunday, well, it would have been, of course, Saturday, the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath worship of the Father. But all those things are connected. So if that's what Jesus was like, then we as his disciples um, are going to do likewise, are going to do likewise. It's clear that he expected his um, disciples to to be steeped in the word of God, to pray, to fast, and and so on. So I I just want to impress upon all of us um, here today, and and I'll say especially the men, because I find that men maybe struggle with this more than women um, for whatever reason, but spiritual growth requires discipline. Requires discipline. So let's talk about the basics. Um, It's vitally important that that you all begin to establish a daily pattern of meeting with God, a daily pattern. Um, one of the things that, that I've come to learn in married life is that when you, when you first start dating someone, you know, so much of your life is spontaneous. Hey, you want to go, you know, grab a beer? You want to go get a pizza? You want to go to the park? You want to go to the beach? It's all kind of spontaneous. But you throw into the mix, um, you know, married life, uh, two jobs, kids. Um, they're, they're, if you leave it to spontaneity, um, you know, Ellen and I can go a whole week and not have a conversation. You know, it, because life happens. You you, you have to learn in, in marriage to, and it feels like, oh, that feels so, oh, I want to be all spontaneous. Well, you can be all spontaneous, but you'll never have a conversation. So you've got to learn to be, in some sense, disciplined about um, and intentional, I'll say. Maybe intentional is the right word about that relationship. And the same is true with our relationship with God. Some of you here this morning are morning people. Do we have any morning people? I'm a morning person. Uh, <laughs> not willing to admit to it, Colton, you're a morning person. Some of you are night owls, okay? So it might be, um, as you start to think about, when is a time that I could set aside and, and devote to the Lord? Maybe for some of you, it's in the evening. Maybe for some of you, it's in the morning. I'm a bit of a morning person, so for me it's in the morning. But I want to urge you to begin to start thinking about what is a time that I could set aside for God? A time that I could set aside for just a little bit of Bible reading and prayer. Maybe it's 10 minutes a day. So begin to think about what, for those of you who are morning people, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Um, Maybe you scroll through your social media stream, maybe you scan the news headlines. Uh, For those of you who are night owls, begin to think about how do you unwind at the end of the day? Maybe you watch a ball game. Maybe you listen to a podcast. Maybe you watch something on Netflix. uh, Maybe you scroll through endless cat videos, you know. Um, But the point is you've got to start to think about what are those things that are part of the current pattern of my life and how do I need to make an adjustment so that there becomes a new pattern where time with God is a, a priority. Um, in a sense, you've got to become like this little dog, you know, he, he wants the treat, but he's got to hold, you know, a well-trained dog. You can hold a treat up and say, stay, stay. And the dog has learned the discipline of staying. He's delayed gratification. And so all of us need to learn some delayed gratification. I mean, for me, I'm kind of a check things off my to-do list kind of guy that, you know, I, it gets the endorphins going in my mind, but I've learned I'm not going to look at my to-do list until I've read my Bible, because if I do, I'll just spend all my time, you know, working, working my to-do list. And again, you have some other version of whatever that is that makes those little happy things, you know, fire off in your brain. But it's important we learn to say, I'm going to set those aside. This is time with God. So just, it just begins with establishing a time. And initially, you might be that, but like that little dog inside of you that really wants to do whatever that thing is that you're trying to set aside. But in time, as the pattern begins to become established, then the little dog shrinks down and, and it will become um, part of your, your daily life, part of where you find life and strength in the Lord. Um, so, how to begin? Well, we want to begin by reading the Bible. This is a conversation with God. It is meant to be a dialogue, but he is the principal partner. So we want to let him talk first and then we'll respond. So we begin by reading the word of God. Now I've given you all, um, if you are not currently reading the Bible, this is just a little suggestion. Okay, there are other other methods of reading the Bible, but, but if this is your first go, I would suggest that you begin by just reading one chapter a day of Matthew's gospel and there's a little if those of you who like checkboxes there's a little checkbox you can check every time so if you get behind and right now this only uh, is only set out to the weekdays if you're just starting out you might you know weekend you're in a little bit different pattern of life maybe start with just the weekdays and begin Um, by reading some sort of um, in a a pattern if you don't already have one this would be a great way to start but when we read the passage the first thing we want to do how how do we read it well we begin with what the natural meaning is you just read it and and what is this saying you know not looking for layers or depth but just what's the natural reading meaning of the text taking it at face value now, you've, you've got to begin to learn, as you begin to learn to, uh, to read the Bible, um, to recognize that, that there are different genres. So sometimes, uh, like for example, some of the Bible is written as history. So if it's written as history, then you read it as history. But some of it's poetry. So you read it as poetry, You don't read poetry the same way you read history. We also need to recognize that even as we're reading the natural meaning of the text and taking it at face value, that sometimes um, both the text itself, so the author of the text, but also those who are talking, sometimes they use idioms. For example, Jesus said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, he was not warning his disciples not to go near the cupboards of the the Pharisees and to get their yeast out of the... He's not saying they use bad cooking techniques. It's a metaphor. So sometimes there will be metaphors, idioms, uh, parables, allegories, and so on. But we begin with a natural meaning. Secondly, we we want to look for the original meaning. That is, we've got to be careful and to learn not to inject 20th century concepts into the text. Now, this is a growing thing. If this is your first time reading the Bible, um, the first thing you're going to recognize is, ooh, this is a different world than the world we live in. So I've got to learn, and you will learn, not to inject 20th century ideas, concepts into the text, into the minds of the biblical authors. And so part of it will be beginning to learn the culture of the time as you uh, mature and learn and grow. Thirdly, we're looking for the general meaning. That, that is how, do, how, how um, we view the passage that we're reading Within the context of the particular book, so again, if you you take up reading Matthew, what you'll discover is that reading it in course, um, there's context and the context is important. But also we wanna take any text we read within the context of the grand biblical narrative that tells the story of God's creation, his love, our rebellion against God, his calling to himself of a particular people, and what happened in the life of those people and his ultimate redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're reading a text and it, your understanding of the text is totally out of whack with either the context of the book or the context of the grand biblical narrative, that's a sign to you, ooh, I might need to revisit my understanding of this text. So we, we want to we take it in the general meaning of the story of Scripture. So with those broad principles in mind, how do we actually go about reading it? Well, again, as I said before, we need some sort of method. And I've suggested to you this method of, of, uh, if you're just starting out, read the gospel according to Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. Read one chapter a day. It won't take you long at all to do. Second, just practical thing. You you, you do need a, a modern English Bible. So if you've got your grandmother's King James Version, take care of it, you know, honor it. Uh, read it from time to time, but I wouldn't make that your daily reader. Um, it'd be like having an old you know, 1960s British convertible. It's, it's great on certain days for certain occasions, but it's not what you want to drive to work every single day because uh, it might leave you on the side of the road. Uh, the analogy is breaking down. The um, King James Version uses words that we don't use anymore. So you need a, a modern Bible, and I would encourage you as well um, to get... Uh, some kind of a study Bible. And I've, I've got a slide, and I don't know where that's, must be further on. But a study Bible is um, a Bible where at the top you've got the actual text you're reading, but then down below you've got some notes. Um, what guys in my Bible study like to call, they call this a cheater Bible. You know, because they can read the top, but if they don't know what's going on, they can go down and like read it, and they're like, oh, that's what that's talking about. <laughs> um, or, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, that's where this came from. So I'd encourage you to get a good cheater Bible. There are different versions out there. Um, I'd be happy to send you a suggestion. This is, one, this, is, this is my old one that I've been using since high school, but um, this is one that I'm using now. There are a lot of great ones out there, and again, I'd be happy to make a recommendation. But at the very least, you need a modern translation. A, um, another resource, if you're kind of a visual person, is, uh, we've been using this website online called The Bible Project. It's great for give it, getting an overview, both of the Bible itself, or if you're going into a particular book, they have overviews of particular books. I'll just play you a little, um, little infomercial, just so you can see what it offers and, and see if it might be helpful to you. So pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So, um, it just... I'm sort of a visual person, and so it, it, I don't know, I find that helpful. And when you kind of get that overview, you can say, okay, now I can, I can dive in with some understanding. I've got a framework. Um, I'll make a little confession to you all. I tried several times to read uh, Tolkien's book, The Hobbit. I don't know if you've ever read The Hobbit. I, in college, I tried to read it. I was just like, I don't get what the big, I just couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't get it. Then... The movies came out, and I, The Lord of the Rings, and I saw the movies, and you know, they're cool. But what they did is they gave me a framework so that I could then go back and read the books, and now I've read them several times. And what I learned out of that experience is you know, Just the way my mind works is I need a f- sort of a framework. And so this, this can kind of give you a little bit of framework as you dive into God's Word. So how do we do it? Well, when you sit down, actually, you, you've set the time aside. You've got your Bible. Um, you've got whatever your plan is, maybe the plan I've given you. Maybe you're going to choose some other plan. And you sit down. The first thing you need to do is pray. And because I'm such a kind of task-oriented sort of person, I'll confess to you that this is what I sometimes forget to do. I sit down. I start reading. But we need to stop and pray. Lord, your servant is listening. Please speak to me through your word. So ask the Lord to speak to you and read with expectation. Sometimes there will be something out of the reading that will jump out to you and you'll say, hmm, that's something I need to meditate on. That's something I need to carry with me. Um, Sometimes it may not. But you can always know that the Lord is speaking Maybe, maybe on the conscious level, but certainly he's always speaking to you down here, sort of down below in, in areas that are even deeper than the mind. But pray. Secondly, we are called to think. God gave us minds. He means for us to use them. All of you have minds. God wants you to think about the passage. Paul wrote to Timothy, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. If you read the text and you're like, I don't understand what that's saying, again, that's why having a good study Bible is helpful. You can read the text and go down below, and yes, do a little bit of work and use your brains and think about it. So, pray, think. Um, thinking is a bit like a, a dog with a bone. You've got to sometimes chew on it to get the, the marrow, as it were. What does it mean? What is it saying? Thirdly, we need to remember. Over and over again in the Old Testament, what the Lord says to his people is, do not forget, do not forget, do not forget. you know why he says that? What do you suppose they do? They forget. Yes, exactly. (laughs) He tells them because they're not good at remembering. (laughs) Don't forget. Don't forget. We're the same way. Don't forget. So it's important when you read that word, um, if something pops out, I'd encourage you maybe to have a little journal next to you. Now, this person obviously is taking like pages and pages of notes. What I'll generally do is I'll have maybe just a one sentence prayer that arises from the text, but that I can carry with me through the day. So we need to remember finally, we need to obey. Jesus said this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We need to obey. So, how do we, how do we read the word? We begin with a prayer, speak to your servant. We, um, we need to think, we need to remember, we need to obey. Any questions about Bible reading? Okay, well, this then flows into prayer because prayer really is our response to God. John Stott said this of prayer, I doubt if anybody has ever become at all Christ-like who has not been diligent in prayer. Those are challenging words for us to have an intentional prayer life. One of the great Anglican uh, Archbishops of the Anglican Church, J.C. Ryle, wrote this. He said, prayer and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke out prayer. And the reason for that is when we're in conversation with God and God begins to reveal those things in us that are not of God, um, that prayer then leads us to say, Lord, forgive me. Please help me to root out this sin. Please help me to walk in your ways. Prayer rightly understood is always a response to God. And, and as we're talking about this morning, a response to God's word. I mean, think about it. Let's say you're, you, you met someone um, at a party and um, you all were talking. And maybe it was a friend you hadn't seen in a while and your friend asked you how you're doing and you told them something very difficult but important that was going on in your life. And then they responded by completely changing the subject. Well, that'd be kind of rude, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, likewise, when we read God's word, the first thing we want to respond with is something in response to what he said. So you read the passage, sit with it for a moment, think about it. And perhaps the first prayer would be a prayer, some prayer response. Sometimes it might be a prayer of confession. Lord, this text has convicted me. Sometimes it might be um, an intercessory prayer. The, The passage makes you think about someone in your life. Or um, maybe it's a a response of praise. You realize, Lord God, you love me in this way, and I just want to praise you. But it's a response to what you've read. A response. And, And this idea that we are responding to God is such a contrast to the popular understanding of prayer, which really imagines God as some celestial Coke machine in the sky. We put in, you know, four quarters, we... Press a button and we we wait for God's blessings to rain down from us from that celestial Coke machine. But He's not some celestial Coke machine. He's a person. A person who, who wants us to know Him. A person who loves us. Prayer is not about us moving God so much as it is about God changing us. Changing us. So it's a good. Discipline to begin your prayer by responding to whatever God's been saying in his word. <clears throat> um, now, sometimes um, it might be, um, well, let me say this. When, when, when my children come to me, I don't ever want them to, to feel like they've got to get all their words right when they talk to me. And I've learned that those of us who grew up in a liturgical context, so so Episcopal, Anglican, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, where you know we say our prayers from a book that were written by faithful Christians, sometimes we can get the idea that unless I speak to God with big fancy words, um, it's somehow not going to be effective. No, God wants you to speak to him in your own words. Um, so, So we respond in prayer just in our own words, but there will be times where this is what you feel like. You're like, Dear Jesus, I don't even know what to pray. Amen. (laughs) And so it can be helpful to have a prayer resource. And we're going to talk about this prayer resource today. Um, One great prayer resource is the Book of Common Prayer. And um, it actually has some wonderful prayers at the back. I mean, for example, there's one that's near and dear to my heart. I have a family member who um, struggles with addiction. And so there's a prayer for um, those who struggle with addiction at the back of the prayer book. It's a wonderful prayer. So, Again, not that I couldn't pray that on my own, but sometimes it's nice to have a resource and the prayer book is a great resource. But let's dig a little deeper. There are at least five different kinds of prayer and it's important that we work toward um, having a, what I would call a balanced diet of prayer that includes all five types. Otherwise, if we're not intentional about including all five types, we'll slip back into imagining God as that celestial Coke machine in the sky. Um, And we can just get a big case of the gimme's, one of our favorite Berenstain Bear books. Maybe some of you have read the Berenstain Bears and the gimme's, gimme this, gimme that. We can be like that with God. God, gimme this, I need this, I need that. That's part of prayer, but it should not be the bulk of our prayer. John Stott referred to the five types of prayer in this way. He talked about the look up at God, the look in at ourselves, the look around at others, the look back to the past, the look onto the future. I'm going to rename them. I'm going to refer to that first type. Um, the look up is adoration. The look in is confession. The look around is supplication. The look back is thanksgiving. The look on is petition. I'm going to rearrange them, though, so that I can use my fancy acronym, AXP. Anyway, the AX works, but you've got to add the P in the end. But anyway, you, you'll see. It, it, it's, uh, it all works out in the end. So um, let's talk about these different types of prayer. And, and let me get you to open up this little notebook. Let me just say this. If this is helpful to you, did you want to get one? Oh. Um, Ellen, can you, can you get them a, just two notebooks and the little um, this little half sheet Bible reading thing? Um if this is helpful to you, fantastic. If it's not, you know, put it in the recycling bin. Give it to some unsuspecting stranger. You know, it may be helpful, it may not. But at the very least, this will help you to begin to see the five different types of prayer that we all need to have a balanced diet of prayer. Now, on the insert, in the inside flap, I have a little suggestion for how to use the book. This suggestion um, talks about having 15 minutes a day. You may not be ready to set aside 15 minutes a day. You may need to start with just five minutes a day. Okay, that's okay. Start where you can. Um, it might be that, for example, if you're like, man, I, you know, I've, I've got 10 minutes a day that I'm going to set aside. It might be that, you know, on Monday you focus on adoration, Tuesday confession, Wednesday, you know, so on and so forth. But eventually what I would encourage you to do is to try to begin to fold all five of these into your daily prayer. But, but start, you know, just get on the on-ramp. You don't need to start at 90 miles an hour. So the first type of prayer is adoration. Adoration is where we praise God just for who he is. And one of the best ways to adore our Lord is to use the Psalms. And so I have several suggested Psalms. My, my pattern is to take one of these Psalms a day and just to, pray, to, to praise the Lord. But if you're a musical type, you might you know you might want to sing a praise song or a great hymn of the church. But we want to praise the Lord. We're meant to praise him. And I find the Psalms very helpful for that. So that's adoration. But oftentimes when we go to the Lord in adoration, in the light of his presence, we realize just how broken we are. And so this leads us to the next step of prayer, confession. Now, it's very difficult to confess something that we don't know about ourselves. And so really sort of the pre-step to confession is self-examination. We say, Holy Spirit, I know there's all kinds of rotten stuff in here. I know I'm probably not aware of half of it. You know, it's like going around and you got bad breath. You haven't brushed your teeth in a while. It's like, you don't know you have, everybody around you knows you have bad breath, but you don't know that you have bad breath. And so all of a sudden someone tells you, well, this is a way to sort of spiritually uh, get a you know, breath check. Um, and the way that this works is it takes you through the 10 commandments. And oftentimes I'll just take, again, one of these a day and I read through them and meditate on them and say, Lord, how have I broken the spirit of this commandment? And you'll be surprised at some of these bullet points at how expansive they are. And you think, gosh, I didn't realize the commandment really was encompassed all that. I I was kind of grading myself on the Ten Commandments, you know, B plus, maybe B, maybe C plus, but I just went through this and it's like I'm flunking. So anyway, so (laughs) this is the uh, self-examination that will lead us then to confession. There's some prayers here of confession. You can use those or you can just confess from your heart. But one of the things you need to hear from the Lord is that you're forgiven. I'll say here, I'm me just to make a, a quick side commercial. We, ne- we didn't get a chance to really dive in and talk about the sacraments uh, a whole lot. Um, but one of the, the, the sacramental um, acts of the church or sacramental services is confession. Sometimes in our lives, we'll maybe have some Sin that we can't seem to break free from or maybe that happened a long time ago and, and we're carrying a burden of guilt and, and, and try as we might to receive God's forgiveness. We just we can't believe God would forgive us deep down inside. If you ever find that you're in that kind of situation, I would encourage you to make an appointment. Come talk to a priest who would be glad to hear your confession. I liken it to going to the dentist. You know, most days brushing your teeth, you know, is good enough. But there comes a time where as as good a toothbrusher as you are, you've got to go to the dentist because the dentist can deal with things that you and I can't deal with on a daily basis. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? Amen, yes. Well, the same is true in the spiritual life. Every Sunday we confess as the body. Every day we're called to confess to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. But sometimes there are things that maybe were done to us or that we have done or that we continue to do and we can't seem to break free. And sometimes the thing that we need to do is to go to a Christian who has taken a solemn vow of, of um, confident, confidentiality, of, of secrecy, to whom you can confess and receive God's forgiveness, a proclamation from the outside, you are forgiven. So if you're carrying a burden, I would encourage you. The, the old adage about confession in our tradition is that all can, any of you can't, None must. You don't have to. You don't need that to receive God's forgiveness. But some should. Some should. All can. None must. Some should in order to receive um, the blessing, that blessed assurance of God's forgiveness. So that's confession. Uh, So we've confessed our sins. That moves on to thanksgiving. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. You might say, well, hey, I thought we already did adoration. Well, adoration is praising God for who he is. Thanksgiving is more thanking him for what he's done in our lives and the lives of those around us. So they're a little different. They're a little different. So this is a little form to kind of take you through. And again, sometimes I might just rotate through maybe two of these a day or something like that. If that's helpful to you, great. But the point is, um, a thankful heart is a joyful heart. And so that's why part of why Thanksgiving is so important in the life of the believer. Then, having done all that, then we go to supplication, which is also sometimes referred to as intercessory prayer. Supplication is praying for those in our lives, those we love, praying for the world. Finally, after having done all of that, finally comes the P, where we pray for things for ourselves. Now, even though P doesn't really fit into my fancy acronym of ACTS, then you've got the P at the end. Um, I find we often don't need to be reminded to pray for things for ourselves because we are acutely aware of the things that we need God's help with. So that usually comes along on its own. But if you remember Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, that will help you to have a balanced diet um, of prayer. What else? So let me say this. Um, Just a final word on prayer. I want to put up a quote from John Calvin. And um, John Calvin's making the point that the purpose of our prayers is not to bully God into doing something for us. The purpose of prayer is for God to change us. We often think we're going to God to try to get God to do something. And we are, and that's okay. But ultimately, the purpose of prayer is for God to do something in us change us. And this is what John Calvin's talking about. He said this. Believers do not pray with a view of informing God about things unknown to him, as if He didn't know, or exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises That they may relieve themselves and their anxieties by pouring them onto his bosom. In a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. That's the purpose of Christian prayer. John Stott put it this way. The purpose of petitionary prayer then is not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. Our father does not spoil his children he waits until his. we desire uh, that is his will. Got a couple minutes, questions about prayer. So in summary, first, I want to encourage you all to set aside a time every day to meet with the Lord. Second, I want to encourage you to begin reading the Bible and listening from God, starting the conversation by listening. And third, I want to encourage you all to take up a balanced diet of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and petition. And to make that part of your prayer life. Those are the things that will help you to grow in your relationship with God. The fundamental things. I'm going to pray, and then I need y'all's help with something. We are going to be using this space after uh, our class today for the children's worship. And so I'm going to have... Colton, I'm going to have you move one of your pair of chairs over here. Rick, I'll have you move your chair a little over there. And then if the rest of you could take just one of the chairs of your pair and move it back there to the back so that we'll have just a room full of singles, that'd be really helpful. Okay? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the incredible privilege of spending this time with your sons and daughters. And we thank you, Lord God, that you that you make yourself known to us and that you want us to know you and as we grow in our love for you. And I do pray, Lord, you'd settle your spirit upon these, your sons and daughters, to give them a yearning and a desire to seek you out each and every day. Equip them um, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally as they seek you in your holy word. And Lord, make their prayers um, a powerful prayers, Lord, that their hearts might be changed and converted um, to be like your heart and that they might become ever more effective and fruitful um, in your hands. Father, we ask all these things expectantly, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.